Welcome to In Conversation, I'm your host, Brett Rogers. The gaming industry has become, within a short decade or so, one of the most dominant entertainment genres in existence. My experience in the industry is this. I played all the Sierra games in the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, so that's Space Quest, King's Quest, um, I even played Leisure Suit Larry, or was it Lounge Suit Larry, I forget. Obviously I played Mortal Kombat, I played Super Mario, Donkey Kong, and even Half-Life 2 in 2006. And my last piece of a gaming experience was last year when I played Monument Valley on the bus. It was very soothing. But that's the extent of my knowledge. I'm constantly blown away by the almost subspace existence of gaming. It exists everywhere, all the time, on every level, including gamification by companies like Discovery and meditation apps that give you points for meditating. So to help me get a grip, on the podcast today I spoke with Roland Reed, who is a gaming entrepreneur with secret exciting plans up his sleeve. Now obviously each week I seek out someone in the industry to speak with, but in this case I really needed a pro, as I'm a total noob. Alright, so follow Instagram at thisisin underscore underscore to see all of our other gaming and culture related content. But first, let's hear from Roland. What's up, man? Hi, my name is Roland Reed, and I am one of the directors for uh, Esports Industry South Africa. Glad to be here, man. Yeah, it's wonderful that you're here. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm not often as deeply, deeply challenged by the topics that I get involved in. Yeah. Um, but gaming is certainly, certainly one of them. I've. Um, I don't know. Like I'm a total noob. I, I. I have a lot of friends who are gamers. A lot of friends who are like really good gamers and and committed gamers. But I've just been useless and I've never kind of <laughs> tapped into the thing. I think it was uh, when I was a kid and uh, I was obsessed with the, the Sierra games. And sure. uh, so the Quest games and even Leisure, Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was amazing. Like <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah, a, yeah. a censored logo going up and down was <laughs> as, about as, as exciting as it got. And then uh, yeah. all my homies got like really great gear. And then my parents couldn't afford the nice gear. So mm. I never got the nice games. I think it's a, an issue a lot of South African gamers at least had for a, for a very long time is everything was so expensive, you know, when it just came out, new technology. Uh, you know, I think today, in today's time, you know, things have definitely gotten more accessible. Um, but yeah, I think we come from the same generation mm. of gaming. Uh, you know, we saw the, you know, consoles come and disappear in our lifetime, you know, something like the Comcast and uh, you know, back in the days of still having Sega access to that, and you know, that's all changed now. And I suppose that's well, that's almost almost entry level um, kind of cost. Uh, even back then, like your your parents could afford to go out and do that. But these days, I suppose it's a lot trickier if you want to get um, if you're getting a console and then you're spending money on the game. That's a that's quite a whack for people to to outlay, I suppose. Well, you know, I think that's probably one of the main reasons, I think, uh, just from a from a global perspective, why, you know, these big companies like Sony and, you know, Microsoft, they, I think they, they came together a couple of years ago and they just said, well, you know, if we look at developing countries, you know, what's the, what's the price of a console when we release it? You know, it's any, anywhere between eight to 10 grand for the console. Now you need to think about the games as well and all the peripherals, you know, you generally with, you know, most of the standardized console deals, you get a single remote, you don't even get a game with it. And these days a game, games cost anything between a thousand, thousand two hundred rand. Um, so it really becomes a, a, a very pricey offering. And I think, um, you know, like I said, when, when these guys got together, that's where you had this business model started, um, you know, come to fruition that they now refer to as games as a service model. So, you know, you don't necessarily have such a massive, um, you know, cost right up front, I mm. think, for the end user. I think that's something that, you know, can become a bit more palatable. Um, they kind of break it down into, you know, downloadable content. 
a lot of people in the industry don't like the model. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a lot of gamers don't like the model because it does tend to to have an impact on the the game's development. Um, you know, to to quite a large extent. Um, I myself, I'm I'm quite a avid Destiny player, and um, I, I've been playing since Destiny One. We're in Destiny Two now. Um, and you know we've seen in Destiny One, which was a great game, how they uh, how this kind of model you know affected the game's health and the community. Um, saw it with the release of the second one as well. The release of the second game um, was very detrimental. The community hated it. Wow. Uh, no one no one liked the game anymore. They thought that you know Bungie, the the developers and Activision were ruining it at that time. And the guys really had to go to work. Um, you know, the guys had to relook everything, had to talk to their community, taking the feedback, but they've really now built it into an amazing game, wow. you know, and it, it took time, but it, it just shows you about what happens when you actually listen to the guys playing it every day. I was about to say that that's a really interesting way of handling customer complaints is to actually listen to what they're saying and react to what they, to what they, and I suppose like they're all gamers as well, right? And they're going, yeah, they're right. Hey man, it's a it's an industry of passion, and I I think more so than than not, the developers are you know some of your biggest fans. Mm. Um, you know, it's I mean it's 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 also a, a topic for conversation, maybe not for today, but you know, salary wise, what these guys tend to offer new guys walking into you know dev houses for the first time, it, it really ain't much. You know, they, oh, really they are very reliant on these guys being passionate. You know, this is the place I want to work for. It's always been their dream. Um, and I think sometimes they do tend to take advantage of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, largely at the end of the day, you know, the developers pour their blood, sweat and tears into it, you know, because they want the best product that they want to play. That's so surprising to me that you that you said that they're not terribly well paid or these uh, the developers considering the immense amount of money that is made uh, by the games. Oh, you would, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, a, a story that broke recently with um, Activision Blizzard, where it's a lot of the Blizzard employees. You know, some of them are house sharing in an area like Irvine, California. I know, which is extremely expensive. Um, you know, just from a from a daily cost uh, perspective. So, a lot of the developers are house sharing. Some of them, you know, work for Uber part time just to get wow. you know by each month. So. I definitely think there is a lot of advantage being taken with the you know dream job idea uh, idea mm-hmm. of it all, um, and yeah, that it's not great. But I, I don't think that happens everywhere. It's it's certain times, certain companies. Um, at the end of the day, you know the biggest publishers, Activision, uh, you know EA. <laughs> uh, you know if you if you look at their track record over the last two years, they've. Uh, They've uh, made a lot of people angry. Um, they've made their communities very angry by decisions based on greed and not based on what's best for for their games and for their IPs. Speaking of of passion, what what was what was your passion? How did it how did it go from being something you enjoyed doing uh, with your mates into becoming something that want, that is a, bi- a business for you? Well, I was um, I was actually studying at film school at the time. Uh, was going to go into go into that industry and. Uh, I uh, got recommended this game uh, by one of my friends called The Last of Us. I think the main reason I went to film school in the first place is I've always loved stories. I've enjoyed a really good story. And this game, I mean, it just changed my perspective on the medium completely. You know, I just felt it was so engaging. You were part of that journey. You, you know, because you play the characters, it's... It's something that cinema, something that music, something that books just can't give you, you know, because you don't you don't actually feel what it's like to be in that car- in, in that specific character's shoes. You mm-hmm. don't actually physically go through the obstacles. And I think with something like gaming, that's the closest we can actually get to that level of experience. And yeah, besides that, I mean, it was just a 
a phenomenal story being told. You know, inherently it's, I guess, a you know a post-apocalyptic zombie game. But if you had to break down to the core of what the story is about, it's about the relationship of an, an older man and a younger girl and how he lost his daughter and how they kind of start constructing this relationship. And I just found it to be, yeah, extremely engaging and very beautiful. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like tired with this, <laughs> this, this film idea of all of it and everything. I think there was just so many people at the time that wanted to do that. And I said, well, let me, let me see what's out there in gaming. And that's where I really started doing a lot of my, my digging and research in the first place. There's something that really stands out for me about gaming and the gaming industry and um, I want to say the gaming economy is it seems so like almost separate. Like I can't choose to just get into it. I can't choose to know everything and, and we are not on a daily basis inundated with the, you know, the stories of uh, this game or this game and um why do you think that is? What's uh, a? Am I right? And and two, like, why do you think that happens? I, you know, I, I really do feel exactly what you're saying. I do feel that there's still a massive disconnect. I think people struggle to to get hold of it, and I also think it has to do with how fast the industry is moving, how much it's changing. I mean, what it looks like compared to ten years ago is is dramatically different. It feels like a, a entirely different beast in its in its own, and um, I think also something like esports has made it to some extent I think less accessible because it it really does look intimidating when you know you speak to one of your friends and they tell you no I've plowed a thousand hours into this game and you know you want to get into it like Mm. you're gonna suck man it's it's not gonna be a fun ride initially you know especially when you look at games that are extremely competitive Um, I always think that there is an entry-level point somewhere um, but I also think it's largely, you know, got to do with your medium. You, you've seen a massive increase in, in mobile gaming um, and that side of the industry in the last couple of years. And, and the main reason for that is just it's a, it's a first point of access. You know, it's, mm. it's first point People of access. People have content. a phone. Exactly. They have a phone. Everyone's got mm. a smartphone these days. Um, you know, you've got some of your biggest developers now focusing to develop for mobile specifically as well. Um, because, I mean, yeah, the sheer size of the market is just unavoidable. And um, I think, you know, that that's the thing is like we – the gaming industry tries to, you know, get everyone involved and, you know, try and shape, uh, uh, you know, a, a place and a picture for everyone that does seem convenient and um, entertaining for them. Um, and if they, you know, fail to do it at some point, you know, that's something that they tend to address and calibrate to very quickly. So, mm. yeah. um, I, I, s- I assume also with the, the growth of um, well, the speed of data uh, improving or the speed of internet improving, is that the, the likelihood of online platforms um, actually succeeding uh, w- would actually become more accessible for, for people as well? Like if, um, I, I think Google has a, a gaming platform now. Uh, failure, Stadia. Stadia. <laughs> failure. Yeah. Uh, Stadia the failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, yeah. Let, let, me, let me actually talk about the positive things. So... <laughs> I think, you know, all of the, you know, all the, the big runners, let's talk about the big three, you know, the Google, the Microsoft, Amazon, they all, um, you know, have their own cloud-based gaming service that they're constructing. Uh, Google being the first ones to market with Stadia. Now, they, I mean, they make the same mistake that most of the biggest publishers do. They come out, promise the world, and then they don't deliver. Um, and this naturally has an effect, um, you know, that... Uh, runs through the entire industry everyone starts getting scared from an investment level all the way through to you know the end consumer saying well you know i 
I really don't feel comfortable purchasing this. I really don't feel comfortable engaging with this subscription model because it seems that nothing's working. A highly critical audience, a highly critical, ready to ready to tell you. Exactly, highly critical. I mean, if you had to look at the technology, I, I still think it's a couple of years away before it, it really becomes a stable online gaming environment. You need a few more of Elon Musk's satellites up there giving us free Wi-Fi. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, th- I think that you know Google just wanted to be first, and I think it, it made, made sense at the time because there was uh, news that broke yesterday about um, uh, Google and Activision Blizzard um, who have signed an exclusivity deal in regards to a lot of the um, esports broadcasting happening over Call of Duty series, Overwatch wow. League. So I think it was kind of also just Google, you know, they needed to enter the gaming industry with a bang now. They, you know, showed everyone that they they are here, they're here to stay. Uh, they, I mean, they set up a, a whole new studio to start developing their own IP as well. So they, they, they really made a big move. And I think, you know, being first to market on that level, at least from, from an investment level, like they really did prove something. Um, and I think, you know, the deal that they signed with Activision Blizzard just goes to show. Um, so yeah, it's not perfect now. It's probably going to be a lot better in a couple of years. Um, everyone thinks that Project X Cloud, which is Microsoft's product, is going to be superior in every way. I mean, they've they've been in the in the industry for for a very long time. So and their machines, uh, I mean, uh, PCs are essentially like the the purest of gaming, I would imagine, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. If you're a purist, you you got a gaming rig, right? You got a PC, like you you have nothing good to say about mobile or console <laughs> gamers ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Microsoft, they definitely know what they're doing. They've got no excuses. So I just mm. think it, it, it comes to that point. You know, Google being relatively new to the game, um, maybe they have, you know, a couple excuses here and there. Um, they didn't do the right thing. I, I just don't understand. It. It's a, the first point that we talked about. It's like, imagine just listening to your customers, mm. not over-promising. You know, tell them, you know, this is going to be a beta. Tell them, you know, we want to work together with you guys to offer the best possible service. Um, you know, that's... But also, it seemed like they wanted money too quickly as well, right? Like they were giving a, 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 a one uh, stage of a game away for free to get you involved in it. But like, let your consumers contribute more and more and more. Not even, it doesn't need to be open source, but open source kind of suggestions and help. And well, I was, perhaps, I, yeah, I also think the. Um, Google had a bit of a, they got dealt a bad hand because they wanted to go to market so aggressively with Stadia. The publishers didn't really, you know, develop um, like pro rata for the platform itself. So the biggest issue was when um, when it came out, you know, and th- you didn't just have to purchase the service itself, which was Stadia, which was wildly overpriced. But on top of that, you have to repurchase the games that you wanted to play at full price. Which is which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's you know whatever the the, the I don't know what the exact cost is, but you know, well over a thousand rand, you know, to have your first Google Stadia experience, which is which is ridiculous. And um, yeah, their second announcement, um, you know, Epic Games went through the same um, same period where they announced exclusivity deals with a lot of the games. So within their environments, are the only places that you can purchase those games for at least six months. You know, mm-hmm. so that. And the yeah, the gaming communities really don't actually like that side of things because you know you are then constricted to only having the ability to play this game here, and um, they did the same thing once again. I mean, uh, you know, maybe they managed to once again build better relationships with the publishers themselves, but not great for the community. So I think it's mm. it's just a balancing act for them as well as like. 
the economics, the business development side of it versus, you know, hopefully we have some fans that are coming back to the platform once it's, it's in, a, in, a, in a reasonable state. You, know. um, you mentioned the word community quite a few times, and I think uh, that's something that maybe is missed by people who are not involved uh, in gaming is knowing just how committed and, and, and knitted the, the gaming community is. The, uh, I'm, I'm going to be visiting Goliath Gaming um, oh, awesome. uh, next week, actually, to go see them train. They're, they're heading off to Hungary to go play there. Yeah, yeah. And there's a tournament the day before. And uh, A, what struck me is how incredibly friendly and inviting and like, cool, come by, come sleep at our HQ and hang out and <laughs> interview us and check our gaming, our skills and stuff. And I was like, awesome. Yeah. But that it's also this, this team. It's an actual team, and that's missed out on by the rest of us. Maybe when we think about gamers, you think about, you know, uh, actually you, Roland, you know, long hair. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't look, you don't look slovenly, but, you know, I'm expecting wake and bake and some monster energy drink and, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, dude yeah. by himself. Sure. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a huge and professional community now. Well, listen, man, like, I, you know, when we, when we first started two years ago, um, we, the first MGO that we met with, a uh, multi-gaming organization, you know, so, similar to Goliath, was Nibble Esports. Um, and it was ran by this young kid, is, I think he's about 23 now, Keegan Stewart. And I mean, the amount of work this kid put in to put this MGO together, to get teams, to scout talent, um, you know, get involved in the industry any way, shape, or form he could without getting paid wow. whilst he was studying. Um, you know, the amount of like love and passion he put into it and the the way you could see, you know, some of his his team members that were, you know, six or seven year, years older than him just have this absolute respect for him. Wow. Um, and, you know, looking to him as a leader, it, it was really impressive to see. And I, I've, I haven't seen that uh, like such a... a, a a fully formed kind of leader at such a young age in a in a in a very infant infantry uh, industry in South Africa, um, as I did with Keegan. So that stood out for me in in the first place. So I you know I experienced the exact same thing to to what you did, and all the MGOs that we made after. Um, I think there is a subsect uh, of uh, you know guys in the industry that have been here for a very long time that struggle to to come to terms with it's not. A, in a profitable state yet it's not where it should be you know i know I locally know, you mean yeah mm-hmm. locally um you know i know some of these guys have been around for 15 years you know since the the very first you know originating point like taking us out of the dungeon you know um out of the basements and mm-hmm. you know onto the stage and everyone has respect for them but one of the largest issues that we've had locally and the reason why the industry you know just seems to keep falling over itself is because, you know, the big players really need to start working together. Mm. If, you, if you look at the international markets and if, even if you look at the young esports markets around the world, the only reason that these guys managed to get it into a decent state is because they said, you know, the pie is big enough for all of us. But mm. if we're going to continue working against one another, we're never going to get anywhere. Um, and, I, and, I, and I feel, you know, clinically in South Africa, we just haven't, you know, engaged in, in that manner yet. And that's really what it should be about. Leave, leave the egos at the door. Let's try and make this work. Let's really put everything into it. You know, the same kind of inspiration I felt the first time I saw Keegan, you know, and the way he ran his MGO. Like, if we can do that as a, you know, industry in South Africa as a whole, holy hell, man, we'll right. better watch out. Yeah. What are, I mean, so that, that sounds like, uh, you know, uh, a problem and solution in itself, but what are some of the other challenges that South African gamers and gaming has in order to, A, kind of step into that economy 
um, and also to become, you know, champions? So I think, you know, we definitely have talent here. We definitely have great talent across multiple game titles, uh, across platforms. But I think having the consistency of, you know, scrimming against teams of an international standard on a consistent basis is something that the guys are really, 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 um, you know, that's what they want. They really want the ability to do that. Um, you know, we do have some games locally that do have local servers, but the biggest problem is is if we don't, you know, we're, we're connecting to, you know, uh, European servers, we're connecting to, to Northern Ireland, where's our um, Amazon Edge network. Um, and we always play with a delay. Um, wow. And that's a, I mean, that's a... That can on, kill you. That can on, kill you. Split seconds. On a, on a competitive level, man, you, 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 you know, every, every millisecond is, is, you know, important. And um, yeah, I think that's also a big killer. And it negates guys, you know, a lot of the time to, to really put themselves into it and really commit to it. Um, at, at the end of the day, it's also, I think, the, the, the teams themselves, you know, like you said, the experience that you've had, you know, seeing how professional these guys are, how hard they work as a team. I think all of that's there. Like, we really do have that down. We've got a really good structure. Uh, I think a lot of the MGOs kind of, you know, started adopting a lot of what the internationals do as well. Because um, these guys, all of them do a lot of research. You know, the, no, one's, no one's sleeping at the wheel. But, yeah, I, I think first things first, if we have the infrastructure in place, you know, to really let the world know that there is a unified sense of how things can work in South Africa, the first thing you're going to start seeing is it will attract more solidified investment, which is extremely important. Without money, the show can't go on, unfortunately. It's just the way the world works. Um, and, yeah, the, at the end of the day, a unified front means so much more than, you know, just these subsects trying to do something and it's, it's not working. So if, if we start there, you know, especially like the gaming companies as well, the publishers, you know, getting local service, all of these things have a, you know, a stumbling effect. It's like you, you need to start with the first domino. You can't start at the end and then try and work your way backwards. It's just all going to fall down. Um, you need, to, you need to have people you can depend on and you also need to know that you don't have to do everything by yourself. Mm. I suppose it's, it's, I mean, it's funny how the problems always just sound like every other kind of growing sports problems. Access to great uh, international talent, access to tools, access to time and training and the ability to just chill out and, well, not chill out, but to focus on your on your passion. Mm. That you, if you're going to have to go run an Uber, um, then you don't have time to practice all day. Exactly. Um, when these, these kids in Korea are playing 20 hours a day and, and that's all they do and getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars yeah. to do that. That sounds great. Um, what are your goals in, in uh, gaming, Roland? Um, well, recently we, we started developing a, a competitive gaming platform. Um, I think the idea for it basically originated looking at what's out there from everything from a content perspective all the way through to, you know, just looking at the games that, you know, a lot of some of my pro friends, uh, a lot of the pro communities, um, spe specifically referring to something like the Battle Royale genre. You know, what's it going to do within the next two years? Is it something that's going to stay there? Is it something that's going to disappear? Is it something that's mm -hmm. going to evolve? Um, I think there's a lot of people asking these kinds of questions. And it just feels that, um, you know, back in the day, we had this beautiful uh, kind of cohesive relationship with a lot of the developers where you had this massive modding community. You know, if you had to think of games like Skyrim, for instance, I mean, as a base game, it was amazing, but the developers opened it up to the modding community and the 
awesome things you saw coming out of that was was fantastic. You know, wow. I'll, I'll take you all the way back to the days of like Warcraft, Warcraft three. You know, everyone was playing. You had the ability to create your own maps. Year along, one day comes this guy named Ice Frog, creates a map, Defense of the Ancients. Right, that's Dota one. That that was Dota one. Um, cut to today's time. You know, uh, Blizzard didn't want to offer him a job, so he went and he started working with Valve. They developed Dota 2. It's arguably one of the biggest esports in the world right now. I think I saw something about that, that the winners of that were Team OG. Am I right? Yeah. The, the international, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe so, yeah. And yeah. that they made, um, let me see, $15.6 million last year when they won. And they won the year before as well. Yeah. And obviously that's just like not one week's work or that's no. like a lifetime of practice and training, but it just show, goes to show how much money there really is there. And, and the viewing figures as well. Sorry for interrupting you yeah, there. Yeah, no. I, I was seeing um, that, um, uh, I think it was that tournament, the special, that more people watched that than the Super Bowl, than the Tour de France, than the Olympics. The only thing that beat it was Formula One. The only sport in the world that beat um, the international was, was uh, motorsports. No that one is, else. That, that, is, that is very believable. I mean, yeah, you can, you can, you can have a look at the numbers and... Uh, I saw I saw some figures the other day where it was basically saying that the international uh, the, the the global full ministry is worth something like four hundred and ten billion dollars. The global music industry is around forty billion dollars. The global gaming industry is worth one hundred and fifty-five billion dollars. What, dude? Okay. What? Pe- like this is the interesting thing that disconnection I talked about is yeah, like yeah. you know people don't talk about this you know okay f- f- fair enough it's it's extremely extensive you know you have to look at everything um, from mobile gaming to you know downloadable content that's being purchased you know all the way through to physical retail sure but that's massive yeah. and it's it's really mm-hmm. big and I think the kind of mainstream exposure is really only going to start happening over the next few years. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest streamers, Dr. Disrespect, uh, he recently signed a deal with the creators of Walking Dead to have his own TV show. Hmm. And I can see there's a lot of this kind of content, like more mainstream kind of content, that will be produced over the next couple mm-hmm. of years. And I really want to be part of that process as well because mm-hmm. I thought that it was only a problem that we had locally, not enough exposure you know, to esports. But it's actually a... A global problem. Um, you know, the normies, as we, <laughs> as we term them, uh, don't really know what's going on on the inside. And I think a lot of people are curious. Um, so it's just time that we, you know, really come out of the, you know, come out of the darkness and into the light and show everyone what this is really about. You know, show them the beautiful things that we've experienced. You know, that mm-hmm. these are real teams, real athletes, putting in real time to be the best at at their game. At the end of the day. And people love those stories, man. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. If we hear stories of like dedication and like teamwork, like everyone like falls over themselves for that. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if you've seen uh, All or Nothing, uh, the TV series. No. It's an um, Amazon, Amazon show. They've done, they've done series uh, primarily American football. Then they did um, All Blacks, Manchester City. They're doing Bayern Munich now. Okay. Um, essentially, it's a, a deep embed behind the scenes series. Okay. Um, so what, what they got really, really lucky with in the States is that the teams they chose went on to win the Super Bowl in quite a few of them. Okay, that's, um, oh, in, that's in, lucky. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just amazing to watch the behind the scenes. And I, I wonder like, how do I, how do I, how do I find my heart in those spaces? Sure. Right. Like I don't care about American football. 
But yeah. now I love American football. Yeah. And I love the guys and I have some gear mm-hmm. and I follow them and I check it out. And um, it's almost like we don't get to touch the heart of gamers. Um, you know, they tend to be a little bit more kind of... Uh, reserved and you know i mean when they're winning the championships and you're watching that and they're losing their goddamn minds you're like whoa that is awesome oh my god like wow yeah yeah, yeah. but i'm i'm afraid i'm afraid of gamers because they often like highly intelligent and kind of dismissive and and shy so it's a weird combination of like how do i touch my heroes yeah 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 yeah. no I, i i think um you know streamers uh or streaming in itself um kind of created a a more accessible space to professional gamers because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you see a lot of, I think I read this statistic the other day that around 60, between 60 and 80% of professional gamers in the U.S. also started streaming. You know, if it's not the esports organization that they're working for, that kind of tells them, you know, this is a great way for you to earn additional revenue, you know, and kind of, you know, push them in that direction. They just, you know, start doing it by their own volition. And I think that's really opened them up to start engaging with, um, you know, a, a lot of the, I guess, viewers and people that don't really know what it's all about, start engaging with them on a, on a different level and just really talk to them, mm. you know, and, and explain what it's all about. Um, yeah, sometimes they, they are difficult to approach. Um, but once again, it's, it's, I think, because, you know, esports in itself is still relatively young. It still needs time to adapt in the spotlight, man, like everything else. Mm. We haven't really, I don't think we've really seen, you know, the extent of what the experience is like, you know, watching esports. There was this great series called True Sight that they actually did around the the Dota International, which was the same kind of concept, um, as you explained now, where they go behind the scenes leading up to, you know, uh, the championships at the end of it. Cool. Where you get to meet, you know, some of the players, see who they are. But, that, but that's kind of the content, what I'm talking about. Mm. We need to start seeing mm. more of that. Um, and I as, think as a unique ecosystem, as, as a unique ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, who, who these people are, you know, what they've contributed, what they, what their passions are, you know, what the, what the big plan and, and dreams are, you know, at the end of the day, that's how we engage with anything. So, um, I, I think we're going to see some really great things over the next couple of years. You know? uh, I mean, it's extremely exciting. Um, and there's also other things that, that occur to me that, um, gaming translates into other parts of, of life. Um, uh, the, the the less attractive example is um, is U.S. Army uh, recruiting gamers for, to become drone pilots and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, b- but there must be all sorts of things that gaming contributes to um, that normies like myself don't know about. Do anything? Does anything come to mind for you? Well, I mean, if I if I look at most insurance companies today, there are so many models. Uh, that come from gamification. So any rewards program, um, you know, that you see at retailers today, they all stem from this industry. They all looked at turning, you know, these ads or, um, you know, how can we better market our products? Well, the best way to do that is to reward your customers. And that's effectively something that the, you know, the gaming industry created, that entire idea of unlocking an achievement you know you get to a, a, a certain level and a certain experience level you get to the next level you know you you get to unlock things that you didn't have access to before and it's the exact same principle and yeah how to see that so widely adopted and still um no one really knows where it, it comes from it's like guys we we invented this like <laughs> are you kidding it's from me? us yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's quite inter- interesting to see like how lucrative you know 
gamification concepts and that stem out of the industry have infiltrated multiple other industries and uh, a lot of people have made a lot of success about it, yet the gaming industry doesn't really get the credit for it. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, you know, we, uh, what I've also started seeing recently is that a lot of films being produced are, you know, trying to appeal to a, to a Zoomer, you know, audience base. And they know they probably spent more time playing Fortnite than uh, watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, for that matter. And, uh, you know, you can literally start seeing some of these, you know, original, you know, something like the Euro's journey, how they are trying to adapt, you know, films coming out that has more of a gaming structure mm. than anything else. I think one of the first places I saw, I saw it now was in the, in the most recent Star Wars. Uh, I'm not going to go into a, a critique about the <laughs> film, but no one's missing anything. But anyway, um, they, yeah, you, you could clearly see that there was some, you know, the characters on a mission to find this thing. And then when they found this thing, they need to find the next thing. And this then leads them to the next place, you know, and then and they this weapon the here boss. and that weapon there. Exactly. So, mm. and I mean, that's what, that's, that's Disney, man. That's your one of your biggest franchises in history, you know, the Star Wars mm. universe. So yeah, I think it's, it's really started to influence everything from, you know, corporates all the way through to Hollywood. Like everyone's taking notice and uh, you're starting to adapt. Even uh, another thing that's super interesting about what that you were talking about, about movies and the structure of the stories is I started watching movies and I could see that it, almost like the movie was an advertisement for a game that they hadn't even made yet. I'm like, I'm watching this and I can see exactly what is happening here. Here's this little challenge and here's this and jumping over that thing. It was almost like, uh, what's well, a Prince of Persia, but in reverse, oh, yeah. like Prince of Persia, the movie, and then the game. It's like their focus is like, we're going to sell these games, man. Well, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, is the, the gaming industry, uh, you know, we also steal, we also steal some things sometimes. Um, so the battle royale genre uh, let me just quickly have a look at this those sounds are uh, rolling on his phone in studio guys yeah apologies apologies, I usually get people to leave them outside but uh, you know I just quickly need a yeah okay cool so in 2000 there was a full made called battle royale I remember it oh man and um, yeah 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 so everything battle royale yeah 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 yeah. battle royale um, <laughs> we're not being racist. It's no, just, no, it's, 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 it's just, it's cold. It's fine. It's fine. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, what it, it inspired a, a whole series of novels, obviously the hunger game films and Fortnite, PUBG, you know, and the other 37 battle royals that everyone tried to create. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think when it comes to media, I think, especially when it comes to something like gaming, everything's a remix. I think nothing is really, you know, so original anymore but i think it can still be adapted across medium hmm. um and that's exactly what you saw happen here it was brendan green at the time he was working for um blue hole corporation blue hole studios and uh PUBG corporation and he you know basically made that leap to say you know let's try a game and make a game in this format um that stemmed from from the days of uh h1z1 and yeah it was extremely successful. Um, I mean, you look at the heights that Fortnite reached. Um, so just to put it in perspective, I think uh, they were the highest grossing free-to-play title in 2019, uh, made something close to $1.9 billion. So where are they making the money from if it's free to... In-game purchases, battle passes. Um, so they've got something called a battle pass. So it basically follows a seasonal structure, um, uses purchase that... Uh, 
probably like three, four times a year. Usually they release it quarterly. So you pay $10 for it. You get access to that season's content. Um, you know, it's usually comes with, you know, you get the battle pass skin or whatever it might be. You get some V bucks and then you get this progression system for that season. Um, so that's effectively what you pay for. It's, it's becoming a very popular model. Um, and then also just the additional purchases of their digital currency, which is V bucks. Um, you know, they tend to release new skins in accordance with like new films coming out. Uh, you know, when, when Star Wars was coming out, obviously there was a massive Star Wars theme. Mm. Um, and you can buy Star Wars skins and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, they made, they made a lot of money um, from a free game. But the interesting part was the, the game that came in second. No one's ever heard of it. It's a game that's only in China. Wow. Mobile game. Uh, made close to $1.7 billion, which isn't far behind Fortnite. Exclusively in Chinese-speaking countries, though. And it was exclusively in Chinese-speaking countries, and the game, yeah, made a wow. lot of money. So it's, it's interesting when you, <laughs> when you look at that and you go like, how is this even possible? Um, and yeah, I think uh, the developers themselves, um, Chinese development company as well, and, uh, you know, they made... A, game that their community loves and their community supported it um that's basically what it comes down to make a good game that your community loves you respect them you give them what they want they will pay you and do people tend to do people tend to like stick to a game like this is the game that i play and this is the only game that i play like i'm a professional at Fortnite. that's what i do i, d I definitely think so i think if you're a very competitive player um, you know, you'd stick to your guns, you'd stick to your game, you know, put in your hours. Uh, I think if you're more of a, you know, role-playing guy, you know, you might shift between games, you know, you, you're going to play The Witcher, you're going to play Cyberpunk when it comes out in, in September. Um, yeah, I think you would transition between it. I think there's a lot of different kinds of gamers at the end of the day. Um, but usually you know most people do have their main game if they are playing something like an mmo you know like a world of warcraft or whatever you know that those games just demand your time so mm. um that usually sucks up you know all the other time you have for other experiences but some guys do tend to to diversify quite a bit which i don't know where they get the time for it but yeah they always seem to 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 have the inside tracked on new games and everything coming out and you know, putting in the time Something which um, which gripped me, which was right in the very beginning of uh, of creating uh, this is in or creating in, which you can find on Instagram at this is in underscore underscore. Uh, the first week we did drag, um, which is one of my passions, and um, uh, one of the queens from RuPaul's Drag Race season seven inspired a level of design in Monument Valley two, um, okay. uh, which is like oh wow, that's such a pretty level looks super cool let me have a look what this game is about and i saw it was like uh, what 90 bucks 127 rand for both of them for both games i thought ah, oh, let me just give it a bash and i want something quiet and um meditative and something to calm me down which i thought was a super super cool way of looking at a way that you can use a game like the game was actually a tool for me like that i had had a shitty day I was like, cool, let me pop onto Monument Valley and quietly do this level and listen to this calm music. And mm. it, was, it was like no, not the traditional uh, first-person shooter where everyone's getting blown up and it's like Doom back in like 1990. Mm. Um, but there, there must be so many other ways of, of getting into gaming. Um, what would you suggest for you know, newbies? 
um, normies. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I think, uh, you know, maybe this is just me being being a bit biased, but I really do think that exploring the, you know, role playing side of 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 gaming is is extremely engaging. Um, if you're if you're new to gaming, I think that really shows you the the vastness of of gaming's potential. Um, and yeah, once again, it, it usually focuses on these simple stories, you know, like I, I, I described uh, regarding Last of Us. Um, so yeah, I think role-playing games is a, is a great place to start. It also offers a lot of diversity. It doesn't all need to be, you know, Skopskit and Boemklem. It does have the ability to just take you on a journey where, um, you know, you are an investigator or, you know, you're traveling the universe, exploring new planets. Cool. Um, there's, I'm there's, a trekkie, so that appeals to me. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's, there's really a lot of experiences. Not all of them need to be violent. Um, some of them can be extremely educational. Some of them can be mind-warping. Um, yeah, but I would say role-playing genre is definitely the place to start. Cool. Um, before I ask you to um, uh, punt something, um, off-topic question. If we could bring back the dinosaurs, should we? I mean, just think about it, right? Like, if you knew, okay, there was a T-Rex, like somewhere just outside of Cape Town, right? And you did have the ability to, like, go on this, you know, adventure uh, and try and find it. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that just change the state of things a bit? <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Um, if, if that existed, yeah, definitely bring them back. Man. I'm down. I'm also down for dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. All right. What do you want to punt, Roland? Um, if anything, at, yeah. <laughs> at this point in time, um, I think just uh, to leave a parting thought about uh, esports and uh, South Africa um, specifically. Um, to ever whoever's listening this, uh, either high up in the food chain or way down low, looking to get into the action, um, yeah, guys, please like do everything you can, bring the passion, bring the hunger, and work together, guys. And uh, yeah, you're gonna turn this this industry into something really beautiful and something that the world has to take notice of. So yeah, I think that's the, the main message I just want to leave with you. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. Finish him.